Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, we're grateful for this day. We thank you for all the blessings you give. It is you in whom we live and move and have our being and our faith is in you. Pray for your uh, blessings on our efforts in teaching this material, that it will be an encouragement and uh, we pray that it will honor you. Uh, we know of many in our family here who have different needs. We lift all of them up to you, Father. You know all the cares and concerns. We lift them again to you as uh, each one has different people that they're particularly thoughtful of. Father, we pray in Jesus' name and give thanks through him. Amen. Okay. As uh, Fred noted, the uh, test pattern, that was for Fred's benefit, and so now... We'll move on to the disclaimer section. I'll get close enough so I can read it without my glasses. First of all, I know that I'm not an expert. And there may be any number of you in here that know more than I do. So if you have a different opinion about anything that I say, it's okay. I take no offense. Um, so, that's, so that's that. What we're trying to do in this series is to clarify some areas uh, of theory and speculation and assumption from fact. Theories are not fact, assumptions are not fact, speculation is not fact, there is a difference. And sometimes it's not presented that way, it's not delineated, and so where we can in some areas, we're gonna try to point that out. I know that this is a controversial issue. There are very, many people have strong opinions on either side of this. As I point out, what I see, and I think what you will see in most cases, are clear um, stretches um, and assumptions rather than fact. I should not, there's some areas I shouldn't walk in because when you get under a speaker, you get feedback. So I'm not sure where that is. We'll figure that out as we go. I like to be closer rather than farther. You're, you're in the spit field now. Um, that's probably a good idea. As I point some of these things out uh, where there are some differences, it is the, the intention is not to denigrate anyone, but if, if two people are saying different things about the same thing, sometimes you, you express what you see as, as an inconsistency or an error. So be aware of that as I go through this. It's not meant to demean. And so we're limited to 50 minutes. No time for questions or comments or observations. Uh, if you would like to ask or discuss or straighten me out on anything, that will be fine afterwards. Please see me. I'm happy for you to do that. But I will never get through the next 80 slides if we stop for questions and comments. Yes, 80 slides. I gotta talk fast, you gotta listen fast. I've been doing this for a number of years and that's the problem, I keep adding to it. There's just so much good stuff and it gets really hard to compress so I will quit rambling. So the case for faith from science and some basic questions come up when we think about that. How did the beginning begin? Uh, 
We, don't, we know some things about that, but we can't know the exacts because we weren't there and nobody else was there to write it down for us except for one uh, that was told to Moses and he wrote it down for us. But some people don't accept the scripture as uh, something they want to believe. So that basically leaves us without a human witness in the sense of being there when this happened. It's not readily uh, studied by science because of that. No, there are no good documentations of precise events other than Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Does it matter? To some people it doesn't. I'm going to suggest it really does matter what we think about it. Uh, what do we really know? So as we go into it, first cause is a fundamental fundamental issue that each one needs to settle for himself or herself. Because whatever we believe about first cause is going to impact how we live, how we act. If we think we're all the result of chance, uh, then, and there's no uh, 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 God creating, we're just happened, and it happened by chance, then in that case, we feel free to do whatever we want to uh, because there's no accountability. But if we were made on purpose, then we have a purpose. And if we have a purpose, then there is a responsibility and accountability of how we live. So what we think about first cause is very, very important. So that's what we want to talk about tonight. Now the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament declare, uh, shows his handiwork. So as believers in God, this going out and looking at the night sky is overwhelming but if some people are not believers, it's not necessarily so. That's not what they think about that. For example, secular views on religion and belief in God. Jody Foster says, I'm an atheist, but I love religions and uh, religious rituals, even though I don't believe in God. Richard Dawkins, very well known for his anti-religion uh, statements, I believe is a liberating thing to free yourself from primitive superstitions. Uh, Bill, Bill Maher, late night TV comic, religion is a neurological disorder. And of course, the former governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Bod Ventura. Do you remember his days as Jesse the Bod? Yeah. Mike does, Fred does. Organized religion, you haven't been wild, you just became aware of it somehow. Organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. That's what Jesse has to say. So, so there's the secular position not very favorable to the superstitious groups that look to the scriptures for direction. Very well-known individual, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you use God to explain everything you do not understand in science, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes on. So, so Neil says, uh, you know, just because you see something you don't understand, you can't say God did it. If that's, your def if that's your understanding of God, the more we learn, the smaller God's getting. And so Neil is very well known. He did Cosmos a few years ago. We'll come back to him a little bit later on, but not very uh, positive toward the scripture. 
Boy, that looks a lot different on this TV than it does up there, but you get the idea. Another well-known physicist is Michio Kaku from City University of New York, developer of string theory. He shocked the scientific world about three years ago when he came out and said, to me it is clear that we exist in a plan that is governed by rules that were created, shaped by universal intelligence and not by chance. Michio is maybe next to Neil deGray Tyson, maybe the most famous physicist on our planet at the present time. One says one thing and one says the other. Now here's one point I want us to get all through this. Uh, I will be using quotes and statements from a lot of folks through this series. Most of them are going to be non-religious people. Well, about half and half, I'd say. I want you to understand that as we look at the quotes of a lot of the top scientists, uh, they're going to say some things very surprising to you. You may, may not have known Michio Kaku said this. Uh, positive statements about a creating intelligence or designer tend to not get much press. Secular statements such as Mr. Tyson's Cosmos series and, uh, and others get a lot of press and a lot of magazine newspaper coverage. Statements about faith don't get so much press. But I want us to understand that the positions for faith uh, have a lot of support from the scientific community, a lot. And our point in this is to just to try to decide or try to see, is it logical? And to know, number two, that much of science, uh, scientists do support the position of a superintelligence from some unknown superintelligence all the way to the personal God that we worship. They're all through that uh, spectrum. Is that a good word? Thank you. You're my assistant in this, by the way. I'll have those moments, so be ready. Thank you, Fred. Yeah, pressure's on. So there you go. Romans 1, 20 and 21. Key passage key passage, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. His invisible qualities are clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that men are without excuse. Who's without excuse? The scripture says those who say there is no God are without excuse. The argument from the scripture is for design. And the scripture says, what may be known about God, that he is there, his eternal quality, all you have to do is look. And you can see incredible organization, complexity, overwhelming evidence, he says, of my presence. That's the Apostle Paul's argument in Romans 1.20. And then he makes this statement in the next verse. Those that do not honor God or give thanks to him, become futile in their thinking. Some versions say their reasoning becomes darkened. So it gets to the point to where you can't clearly see what's in front of you. If God, the scripture says if a person that does not honor God will eventually get into an area where his thinking becomes futile. 
All right, let's look at a few definitions as we get, get started here. Secular, that's a worldview that is non-spiritual, not religious. Secular as opposed to religious. So, the secularist view of scientific study, very important. This sets the basis for the whole thing as we go through this the next three weeks, uh, four weeks counting tonight. Science is the study of what is physically tangible, measurable, or observable. We cannot test for or observe God in a physical sense. Therefore, the concept of God does not fit into the study of science. So God is not considered. That's the way the secular definition goes. Science is only about studying what is physical, measurable, tangible. Since God is not, we will not include him in any scientific discussion. Now that's the basis, that's where they start and reason from. Science therefore considers only chance, material, blind force. No other possibilities to explain us as how, how do we get here? Where are we from? How did this happen? We're not going to look at anything that we can't test for, touch, or see. We're only going to explain it through what's material that we can see and test. I will say about that physically tangible, that Jesus is actually a historical person who was physically tangible. John writes that we have seen him with our eyes and touched him with our hands. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the historical record of Jesus kind of flies in the face of the secular exclusion of God uh, as being someone who is not physical or tangible because Jesus says, I'm God, and you've seen the Father if you've seen me. Feel the holes in my sides, my hand. But we'll not go into that. People that do not use the Bible as a reference point, but just I wanted to include that for our thoughts tonight. But based on this, I would say God does belong in a scientific discussion since he meets their own definition of being physically tangible. Okay, Jim Leppard of the University of Arizona, he, clarif he defines it very well. Resorting to the supernatural as an explanation of origins violates a major canon of modern science explained only through natural causes. That's... that's where they are, explain only through natural causes. No other options. So let's assume if there was a God, if God is there by some chance, he actually does exist and is responsible for all of the incredible complexity and design that we see, if he's there, just on a long shot, according to Leopard's definition, I, sorry, can't, can't consider him. Even if he's there, I can't consider him because he's not a natural cause that I can physically see. So he sort of excludes God even if God is there and says to him, Mr. Leopard, here I am. What do you think? And he says, oh, no, you're not really there. That's really the position he's gotten himself into there. Um, 
Now here's the flip side of that. Harvard biologist, an evolutionist, but he says this, Richard Lewontin, it is not that the methods and institutions of science compel us to accept a material-only explanation of the phenomenal world. We are forced by our adherence to material causes. No matter how counterintuitive they may seem. So uh, Lewontin says, you know, it, there's no law that says we can't consider God, but we don't consider God. And so we are forced by our adherence to material explanations only to assume sometimes what are counterintuitive positions. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. His, his statement. In America, most of our educational system is pursuing that route. It is. So where we go in the generations to come as kids are brought up and say, we're not going to consider any supernatural, any creative intelligence, material only, explains everything there will be increasing moral freedom, or should I say freedom for immorality of any nature, because I'm not accountable for anything. Whatever I want to do, I can do. You can see where this heads through time. And you can look at now, compared to 30 or 40 years ago in the uh, national consciousness that, uh, conscience, I should say, that America had 40 or 50 years ago compared to now, and you can see a great difference. We'll expect it to steamroll. That is our environment. And it's because of these kinds of positions that we get there. When you take God out, when you take accountability out, when you take purpose out, Katie, bar the door. Here we go. I do not know the source of that statement. But my assistant will look that up and tell us next week when we have time for Katie bar the door. He used to know that, he said. This is where you can get to when you only allow one source of explanation. I can't consider anything else, even if it's logical, even if it makes sense. I'm not going to consider it. This is where you get, and that's what Lewontin was talking about by our adherence to mere, uh, material causes only. Here's the result of that. Physical is the only reality. Random chance is the only explanation for life. Humankind has no value. We're just the result of chance. So we have no value, really, other than what we say we have, but it's really nothing. And man assumes the role of God to do whatever he or she wants to do. That's the logical progression of the secular position. That's where it goes. Stephen Hawking made this comment in his, maybe his first book, A Brief History of Time. Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing at all. 
Why does the universe even bother to exist? When you're secular only, when you're material only, it just has no purpose. And so Hawking raises the question, why does it even bother to exist? What's the point? He saw no purpose. He saw no purpose. It's very futile. That's, again, what the scripture said, isn't it? If you don't acknowledge God or give thanks to him, your thinking becomes futile. And Hawking expressed that sense of futility in that statement. Postmodern secular view of origins, David Peters in 1991, in his book, From the Beginning, Story of Human Evolution, basically says the unexplained forces, that unexplained forces somehow produce time, energy, everything. Somehow they did it. Here's his statement. The universe started off with a big bang. It was called the big bang because the universe has been expanding ever since. The universe, the galaxies are moving apart as we speak. Not only are they moving apart, they're accelerating. Everything is moving apart faster and faster. So as we look at the speed, everything is moving apart. We can do just like the ripples on a pond. We can, we can look at the speed, we can look at the size, and we can extrapolate backwards and see approximately when it began. When we do that with the uh, sky, we get about between 13 and 15 billion years. The general consensus is the universe is about... is. 15 billion years old or less. It's, that's just been sort of upgraded within the last few weeks to slightly less than that, maybe to 13.1. One of the constants they used, they've tweaked it, and they said, not as old as we thought, 13.1 billion. Going on with Peter's statement, no one knows what caused the Big Bang. We only know that before it happened, nothing we can measure existed. Not time, not space, not energy, not matter. Suddenly the universe existed and the clock started ticking 15 billion years ago. So he acknowledges, it started, I can, I'll give you that. It had, just like that ripple, we know there was a starting point. There was a first cause of some sort that started. We don't know what it was, but we're pretty sure it wasn't God. But we don't know what it was. Suddenly existed and its clock started ticking. Here's a point I'm getting to. Secular science, as of October 2, 2019, don't know what that is in the Chinese calendar, but I digress, has no answer as to purpose. Why are we here? It's the same thing Hawking asked in 88. Why does the universe bother to exist? They have no answer. Now, as Christians, we have an answer. We know why we're here. And we have faith in a creator and the story of Jesus. But outside of the Christian faith and some others, the general secular world, they have no idea of why we're here or how we got here at all. No answer as to origins, first cause, or purpose. 
So where do we come from? And, and by the way, there's a whole lot of stuff to explain. How did it get here? So we've got the sun. It's a fairly, it's not a very large star as stars go. It's a G2 class star, 27 million degrees in the core, 10,000 degrees on the surface, and not particularly remarkable as stars go. The next closest star to us is Proxima Centauri, which is 4.22 light years away. That works out to 25 trillion miles. So once our sun is here, 25 trillion miles away is Proxima Centauri, and now you've got two stars. There's a bunch of stars up there. This is a pretty big thing. That's not the Milky Way, but it's a similar to the Milky Way. It is a spiral galaxy. Most spiral galaxies contain somewhere between 100 billion and 200 billion stars. In the case of the Milky Way, it's 100,000 light years across. That's 500 quadrillion miles across our galaxy. One galaxy out of up to this number was updated. The number used to be several billion galaxies. Now they've up, upped it as of 2016 to maybe a trillion galaxies, each containing 100 billion stars. A trillion galaxies? I don't know how big that is each containing 100 billion stars. So the universe is rather large. Andromeda is the next closest galaxy to us, to the Milky Way. It's 2.3 million light years away. It's the closest one to us, 12 quint quintillion miles. And it's 400 billion stars, much heavier, much thicker than the Milky Way. There's a star cluster off the nose of Pegasus called M15. The thing about M15, if you look at it in the sky through a telescope, it looks like a white dot. That's, that's the white dot. It's 100,000 stars measuring about 960 trillion miles across that dot. 100,000 stars in that dot 960 trillion miles across. That's a lot of matter. The Big Dipper in Ursa Major. So in 1995, NASA decided we want to do something, we want to study something in space. They usually target a star or a cluster to study, but they decided in 95, let's focus on an area that looks empty. Let's just look at this empty area. They picked out the area on the upper side of the Big Dipper, and they put the Hubble telescope on it and that satellite for 10 days, time-lapse photography for 10 days. They were shocked when that came through. It's called, known as the Hubble Deep Field now. They found 3,000 new galaxies in an area that looked empty to the human eye. But by focusing that telescope on it for 10 days and gathering all the light that was in there for 10 days, they were able to see, oh, 
there's 3,000 more galaxies we didn't know about. Three hundred trillion more stars than we knew we had. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the firmament shows His handiwork. Overwhelming. One thing we need to never forget is this God that we worship. He's overwhelming. How dare we not, how dare we settle for doing uh, what we can and could and should do because of who he is? Starting with me. So where did it all come from? All right, so let's look at this for a few minutes. What banged and how did it get there? We saw that Peters and all the other cosmologists, and that's not to be confused with cosmetologists, all the cosmologists agree, well, the Big Bang, it started this 14 or 15 billion years ago, but it, something did start this. There was a singularity, there was a point, a singularity that started, and here we are. What, how, and why? Physical only, first cause. Okay, let's look at this for a second. It doesn't work, physical only. Does not work. It conflicts, first of all, with the laws of physics, laws of the conservation of matter and energy and mass, and the first law of thermodynamics, which basically end up saying you cannot create matter from nothing. We call it common sense. The physicists call it the first law of thermodynamics. You can't create matter from nothing. If you have nothing, I'm talking no atoms, nothing. No electrons, no protons, nothing. Come back at some point in time later and look in the box where nothing was, there will still be nothing in there. It's the first law of thermodynamics. Matter does not create itself. Nothing does not create something. The Big Bang does not answer the fundamental question of where did matter come from and how. It assumes matter. Something started, there was a singularity. They cannot tell us what the singularity was, how it got there, and why it exploded. That's all a mystery. It was just there and it started. Well, I want to know how. I want to know where from. You're talking to me about my eternal soul here. I want to know more than you saying, oh, we don't know how it got there. It just started. I would like to know, well, is there some place I could go to find out why I'm here? What my purpose is? Yes, there is. But, but it's not in secular science. It also requires that blind chance would account for all of the highly precision, all the complexities that we observe. You know, the strange thing about science is we, and if science is a great thing, I'm not against science, I'm a scientist. My degrees are in biology. 
The interesting thing about science, about biology, is the more that we learn about it, we find out the more complicated it is. We're discovering things now in biology and molecular biology and in genetics that 20 years ago we didn't know anything about. 10 years ago we didn't. Now we're saying, well, look at that. It's way, it's like peeling the, the layers off an onion. There's just way more in there than we ever knew. Uh, Darwin had no idea how complex a living cell was, but that's for three weeks from now, two weeks from now. So it would require blind chance account for all of the complexity that we see. It, that just doesn't make a lot of sense, that blind chance, matter moving by brute force with nothing directing it, could organize itself into highly complex entities over and over and over that are nothing like each other. Whether it be an earth which has many dynamics going on inside it or whether it be an amoeba. It just is incredible. I don't think blind force really accounts for that. You can take that position, but I don't take that position. And it doesn't account for the spiritual qualities that we know exist. You've got conscience. Rocks don't have conscience. Minerals don't have conscience. Inanimate matter does not have a conscience. Cannot appreciate beauty. No moral values. No artistic abilities. Just starting with matter exploding does not account for the spiritual qualities that we know exist and that we function with. Something in the first cause has to account for spiritual qualities that are a reality. They came from somewhere. They didn't come from rocks. But they've got to be explained in the first cause. Eternal matter, matter's always been, you know, the universe's always been there. No. That's the second law of thermodynamics. As time passes, everything runs down, wears out. Look at me. I'm a perfect example. Look at Ken. You were the first one that laughed. Look at my glasses. I'm on my second pair of glasses lately because I keep picking up grandkids and they just don't hold up as well when things push against them. Everything physical wears out. That's the second law of thermodynamics. The same is true with the stars. Now, stars are being formed in certain clusters, but the, the total amount of, uh, of uh, hydrogen and helium that's out there is less now than it used to be. Time passes and things run out and things burn out. Matter's not eternal. Going back to Hawking in the grand design, because there is a law such as gravity, he said in 2010, I find this to be a very incredible statement for several, on several levels. Uh, because being such a brilliant person that he was, he makes several mistakes in this statement. Because there is such a law as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. 
Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. It's why the universe exists. It's why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to get us here. 2010. The grand design. Well, in the first line, there's, a, there's an issue with that. Because there's a law of gravity, the universe will create no. Gravity does not create. Laws of physics do not create anything. The laws of physics describe the behavior of matter and energy. They do not create matter and energy. A law is a description of a behavior that we have witnessed and we have found to be true. It is not a creative force. So that doesn't work. Spontaneous generation of life was disproved by Pasteur in the 1800s. And the spontaneous creation of matter is a theory that Stephen Hawking has thrown out there that's a violation of the first law of thermodynamics. You can have a theory. Very few people accept a theory that violates a known law that something would just come from nothing. And he says that explains why the universe exists and why we exist. Well, there's no basis for him or anyone else to conclude that gravity will organize and design and create any entity of functional proportions. Gravity is a law that says every physical thing has an attraction to every other physical thing. So we can't jump as high on the earth as we can on the moon because the, the moon has less mass, so it has less attraction. So we jump higher. We get on the earth, we can't jump as high. The mass of the earth pulls on us stronger. Gravity is a law of matter attracting matter. But there's nothing about gravity to indicate that it would design and make a machine. No. There's no reason there's no reason to say that. It's sort of desperate in my view. It just doesn't work. Stephen Meyer, PhD from Cambridge, he's in Seattle now, and he just restated, he said what I just restated. The laws of nature describe how stuff behaves once it exists. They do not explain where that stuff came from. The law of gravity does not create. Okay, this, this is interesting. We got about 15 minutes, so we're doing good, even without coffee. Well, not as good as we could if we had coffee, but we're doing okay. Alan Guth, MIT physicist. This came out in Discover Magazine. I have a copy of it at the house. I nearly need my glasses for that. The universe... A circle covered that up. The universe burst into something from absolutely nothing, is what he says. The universe burst into something from absolutely nothing. 
from nowhere. And he has a theory. His theory of inflation explains everything. Alan Guth, the theory of inflation produced and distributed in Discover Magazine 2002. The theory of inflation. All right, let's look at it. Page 36 of that magazine article, he says, inflationary theory suggests that what erupted was a false vacuum, a false vacuum. Now see, we're talking about what is the first cause? What was the reason for that initial singularity to start the Big Bang? He said, well, what erupted was a false vacuum. And he says, explains, it's a peculiar form of matter that is predicted to exist, but we haven't found any of it. Never been observed. It's a false vacuum, he says. Quantum theory holds, this is, now grab this. Quantum theory holds that things can materialize out of a vacuum. Theoretically, anything, a dog, a house, a planet, can pop into existence by means of a quantum quirk, which physicists call a vacuum fluctuation. This phenomenon has never been observed. It is theoretical. Think about it. They're saying in quantum physics that theoretically you could have a dog just pop, and there's your dog. I mean, that's just what they, that's just what, the vacuum fluctuation would produce. A dog, a house, a planet. Organized and there. And we think about that and we think, well, this is just ridiculous. Well, this is secular science. And it's theoretical, and they acknowledge that. And that's one way of getting us here without God. We popped. into existence. Tyron said, our universe is simply one of those things which happen from time to time. Things like that happen. Universes. Sometimes they just happen. I'm just saying I don't get a lot of uh, comfort about my existence and my future and so on. This has not given me a lot of comfort. It is the science. It is what the quantum physicists are working with, trying to figure out a way to get us here without a designer, without an intelligent designer. Quantum quirk producing in a blink. All theory, no tangible basis, never observed. And you get it here, and then there's, there's certainly no purpose for being here if it just popped here. So it's an option. It is an option. If you have that much faith, it's an option. Here's one. 
Same article. All matter, positive energy, plus all gravity, negative energy, in the observable universe equals zero. Matter, positive energy, gravity, negative energy, it all equals zero. So the universe could come from nothing because it is fundamentally nothing. That still violates the first law of thermodynamics. Nothing physical can come from anything that doesn't exist. Something causes everything you see. Everything we see came from something. It's a law. But this is taught. Now, this is interesting to me. How much of a bit of a false vacuum would be required to erupt into a universe? Guth says, wouldn't need much, just a little patch about one billionth the size of one proton. One, now a proton's pretty small. An atom's pretty small. A proton's way smaller than the atom. And you take one billionth of that And it has everything in it that produces everything that we see. Conscience. Draw blueprints for DNA. All the elements. God says, give me a patch. That small, that would be enough. I have a problem with it, though, because the magazine article said you were going to tell us how the universe came from absolutely nothing. So a small patch, even this, only the size of a billionth of a proton, that's not nothing. The reason he says I have to have a small patch is because he knows the first law of dynamics, and it's that you've got to have something to start everything. It can't come from nothing. But the question then becomes... Where did your patch come from? How did it get there? No answer. No explanation. Complexity and order require superior intellect. A few examples. Well, these guys are not known for being preachers, but again, I'm giving you this to say, you know what? There are a lot of scientists that say, your faith your position as a Christian makes sense to me. Uh, there's a reason you're okay to have faith. One, Werner von Braun says, one cannot be exposed to the law and order of the universe without concluding there must be a design and purpose behind it all. The father of American rocketry. He says, oh, there's so much order and precision. He said, whoa, yeah, there's purpose and design. Arno Penzias won the Nobel Prize in physics. He says, the universe has a very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions required to permit life. And it's a design which has an underlying plan. Plan. Guess what? 
Plans come from the result of intelligent activity. Plans come from thought, an underlying plan, a designer. Einstein, not, not highly religious, but he made this statement. That deep emotional conviction of the presence of a superior reasoning power which is revealed in the incomprehensible universe forms my idea of God. The conviction of the presence of a superior reasoning power. John Glenn, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God to me is impossible. So again, as a Christian, we need to understand, we have from science and from many scientists a very logical position that is supported by what has been observed. Our faith is not blind faith. We have a record of history and we have a record of the laws of physics and maybe some even common sense. So we're going to be wrapping up here in about three minutes, three or four. First cause, mind or matter. It had to be one or the other. The first cause is either mind or matter, one or the other. Can't think of a third option. It's one or the other. First cause. Something is, therefore, something always was. There was never a time when there was absolutely nothing. First law of thermodynamics. Something cannot come from nothing. So something is, therefore, something always was. Something. The original source must have had, had to have the capacity for the basic qualities observed in the universe. You know, uh, so you got blue eyes. You got those blue eyes from your mother and your father. They had the genetic makeup to give you blue eyes. They had recessive genes. Maybe one parent had brown eyes and one had blue, but the parent that had brown eyes was heterozygous dominant. They had some blue genes in there, some recessive genes in there, and those recessive genes matched with the recessive genes of the mother, and you got a blue-eyed baby or whatever. You, you, whatever comes about comes from the, the source, has to have the capacity to produce the result. So that had to, has to be true in our universe. And so since we have spiritual qualities... My conclusion is there must have been an entity with spiritual qualities that began this whole thing. The observed laws of physics and thermodynamics prohibit eternal matter, leaving one option, a non-physical first cause, a metaphysical first cause, because matter's not eternal. By definition, by law. Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created. So what we're talking about is a being outside of created time. We live inside created time, inside the red box. From the creation to the end, God is beyond that. But like, it's like this remote. God can be at the beginning, at the end of the remote, all at any time, all the time. We live at some point in time. He's outside of time, but he can be at any point in time all the time. That's what I'm talking about on the screen.
He is in a non-physical dimension, but he can interact with what he created. But he's not bound by the laws of physics, so he can't die. He's not physical. He's beyond that. So the laws of physics, entropy, do not apply to him. Colossians 1 in the middle there, 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created, things visible and invisible. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, kind of curious, how how'd the writer know to talk about invisible things? Since they're invisible, he didn't know they existed. Can't see them. I can't see invisible things. How Paul know to say that? Because God said, I'm going to give them something here. I want them to know that I made everything, and they'll find out later there are invisible things like the atom, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell them now, 2,000 years before they find it, that I made the invisible things too. What is seen was not made out of things which are visible. You know, there's more dark matter than visible matter in the universe. We're learning. We can't see the dark matter but we're learning about it and it's there like a matrix of stuff. It's pretty wild. There's a whole lot about the creation where we're way, we, we know this much. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Here's a cool thing. He chose us in him before the creation. God's plan was to save mankind before he started the whole thing. Pretty special. Have a great rest of the week, guys. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.